here in Jude. Um, this morning I woke up. I've never had a pinched nerve before, but I think I got a pinched nerve. So if I'm a little bit more stiff than usual, you know why. Uh, so just be praying for me as well. But hey, Jude, we look at verse 17. Read verse 17 through 19, and then we'll uh, come back. It says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. As we've journeyed through Jude, one of the key scriptures for us is the end of verse 3 and verse 4. At the end of verse 3, it tells us, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Again, week after week, we've been reminded Jude is exhorting each and every one of us to contend earnestly for the faith. This is not an exhortation just for pastors. This is not an exhortation just for church leaders. This is an exhortation for every single person that would call themselves a son or daughter of God. An exhortation for every single person that believes they're going to heaven when they die. God, through Jude, is calling each and every one of us to contend earnestly, to be able to fight earnestly for the faith. What's Jude's reasoning? Verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is saying as we see these men and women creeping into our church, whether they are unbelievers, make-believers, or just straight-up wolves, we are called to contend earnestly for the faith. In a moment, we're going to be reminded of some of their character traits. How do they live? How do they walk? How do they move? And then after that, we will see that in light of these men and women departing from the gospel, departing from the faith, how should we live? Because sometimes it's, it's, it's a bummer if we're honest, right? Month after month, week after week, year after year, it's this pastor that has fallen or this former Christian artist is now saying they're not a believer anymore. This worship leader, this, apolog this apologist, right? All of these different people falling by the wayside, departing from the faith, and we could be bummed out. But hopefully here there's some of us that we say, no, I want to be able to stand in my faith. I want to contend earnestly for the faith. Anybody here that's you? All right, two of us, right? A handful of us, right? We say, yes, I want to stand earnestly for the faith. That as I see everybody else being wishy-washy, falling apart, I want to do my part to stand earnestly, contend earnestly for the faith. Verse 17, it all starts off with, it's all based on, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we stand in the days that we're living in? So many people departing from the faith. Remember the word of God. Remember the word of God. Remember the words of the apostles and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jude tells us to do here. It's to read our Bibles and to study our Bibles. That's the only way we're going to be able to stand with everything that's happening. And we don't read the Bible for intellect. We don't read the Bible so that on, if we get on a, who wants to be a millionaire, we can, we can answer the Bible question. We don't study the Bible so that we can do our best in Bible trivia or in Jeopardy. We read the Bible so that we would know how to live in these last days. We read the Bible so that we can get to know more and more of who God is and what his desire is for our lives. So we'll come back to on the importance of being in the word of God. Verse 18 and 19, he kind of draws back from earlier in the chapter, earlier in the letter, on who these men and women are. He says, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. I don't know if you've had the joy and privilege of being able to share the gospel with anyone recently. I don't know if you've had the joy and privilege of being able to be mocked for trusting and believing in the Bible recently, right? You believe in a virgin birth? 
How can a virgin have a baby, right? What in the world are you talking about? You believe that the Son of God would die for you and someone resurrected from the dead? Who in the world are you, right? They mock us for our faith. Sometimes you get to talk to about the rapture with unbelievers. So you're telling me Jesus is going to come back and a bunch of you guys are just going to fly off into heaven, beat me up, Scotty? Is that what you're talking about, right? You believe in the rapture, you believe in UFOs too, what are, you, what are you doing here, right? Have you been mocked for the gospel? This is the day and age that we're living in today. And it's not just the Bible, not just gospel, not just doctrine, rapture, uh, virgin birth, things like that. But it's even, hopefully, your biblical stance on gender. And they'll mock you for that. Your biblical stance on what sex is supposed to be. And they'll mock you for that. Our biblical stance on what a husband and a wife should be and what their roles are. Hopefully, right, you've tasted of the bitterness of being mocked for the gospel. Mocked for standing in the faith that has been given to us. In these last times, there would be mockers. And sadly, there are mockers inside the church, right? Because that's what he's telling us here. These apostates, they're not just outside of the church mocking us from the outside, but it's told us that they've crept in unaware. They've crept into our very churches and now they're mocking us on our old school stance of scripture or are out of touch with the culture of 2021, right? This is just the day and age we live in. Then he says they walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Earlier he said that they were like brute beasts. They don't follow the desires of God. They don't follow the Spirit. We'll see that again in verse 19. Instead, they follow their own lusts, their own desires, whatever their flesh wants, whatever they're feeling, whatever they, they're thinking, that's how they walk. Instead of walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the times. Verse 19, it says, they are sensual persons. Right? They go by their lusts, their desires, their feelings, their hunger, their appetite. Oh, I just feel like doing this so badly. And they just go off of those feelings. What do they do? They cause divisions within the church and divisions outside the church. Right? Has that not been, if you could sum up right, 2020 and 2021 in one word, I think division is a big one there. They're trying to divide us every way possible every way possible month after month a new way to divide people a new way to divide people a new way to divide people but even within churches there are those who cause divisions all throughout the pastoral epistles we're called to have unity in christ jesus is the head all of us are supposed to come unified under him but there are those in the church and what do they do they cause divisions they start eroding that unity they start whispering doubt into your heart about the leadership they start whispering doubt about the person next to you, about their lifestyle, their decisions, who they are. Yeah, they're like this on Sundays, but have you ever seen them on any other day of the week? They cause divisions. Finally, not having the Spirit. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, they are sensual persons. They go after their lusts instead of the Spirit of God. Oftentimes, they will try to act like they are deeply intellectual but all they're trying to do is fight and protect their own sins and their own lusts. Now, if, if you study the Greek the way I do, you would see that that's not really what God's Word is saying. No, no, if you would just understand this the way I do, you would realize that it's okay for us to do these things now. And all they're doing is fighting to protect their own sins and their own lusts. Earlier in the chapter, we saw that they fight, they buck at authority. First and foremost, it's the authority of God. Then it's the authority of Scripture, and then it's any God-given authority that God has placed into churches or places of faith. And these people, they buck at that authority. That's what we saw in these three men, Cain, Korah, and Balaam. Sometimes they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They come into our churches, and they try to act like other believers. They have their Christian thesaurus out, right? God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister, right? How are you feeling? Blessed, better than I deserve, right? God bless you, right? They have, their, they have their Christian thesaurus, right? But they are wolves. They're feeding on sheep. They're tearing people apart. They're causing divisions and friendships. They're causing problems. So sometimes we're going to see at the end here, we need discernment to know if they're a wolf, if they're a make-believer, an unbeliever, or a young believer. But we can be reminded, like Cain, like Korah, like Balaam, we saw these three men last week. Cain was self-righteous. 
He thought his righteousness, his good works was enough to get him intimacy and relationship with God. He was disobedient to God and his envy and hatred was towards those who were righteous and humble before the Lord. We looked at Balaam. He desired riches and fame and fortune no matter the cost. Even if it cost God's people their relationship with the Lord. Even if it cost Balaam his own favor with God. Even if it costed Balaam his own relationship with the Lord. And finally we saw Korah and the sons of Korah. Their pride led them to not be content with the authority God had placed over their lives. Their pride led them to not be content with what God had called them to do and who God had called them to be. And oftentimes that pride creeps into our hearts and we think we deserve more. I should be more important. I should be doing this. That authority shouldn't be there. And then they begin to undermine the authority God has placed there. But now in verse 20, he tells us, hey, these are the things we must do if we want to be able to contend earnestly for the faith. Verse 20 through 23, it tells us, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. The first thing we need to do is build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Here we're given four different things to do if you want to be able to contend earnestly for the faith. And these four things are completely contrary against the sensual spirit, against our sensual lusts. And they are completely in line with the spiritual things of God. The first thing again, building ourselves up on our most holy faith. We saw earlier that sensual and unspiritual people, they cause divisions and they tear things down. Spiritual men and women, they're able to build things up. Right? You see that all throughout Scripture. I love that teaching by Sandy Adams. Right? A boy tears things down, but a man builds things up. Throughout Proverbs, the foolish woman tears down her husband, tears down her home. The wise woman builds her home, builds her husband, takes care of things. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And the reality that we need to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Second Peter chapter 1, couple pages to the left. We'll start in verse 4. Verse 4 reminds us of the blessings we've been given by the Lord. It tells us, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, working as hard as you can, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Again, God has given us the foundation, right? Jesus Christ and the Word of God, this is the foundation of our faith. But now we are called to build upon this faith. Peter told us we need to give all diligence to add to our faith. Simply put, it's bulk season. That's what he's telling us here. 
We need to build up, not bulk wide-wise, right? Bulk and strength and our strength in the Lord. Each of us needs to take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth. It is our responsibility that we should be growing in the things of God. This is the only way we can contend earnestly for the faith. If we're out of shape, if we're not built up, how in the world are we going to go to war? Right? I think enough of us, we've seen movies. There's some of us here, right? You've been able to stand for our nation and protect our nation, protect our freedoms. When someone signs up for the military, do they just ship them straight from Miami straight to the war front? No. They go through boot camp. They go through hard work and weeks and weeks and weeks of being torn down and built back up. So now for those of us that we want to stand and we want to contend earnestly for the faith, we need to be built up. We need to grow and strengthen our spiritual state. And family, that's on you. That's on me. Us personally. That's who's on to grow and bulk up in this season in the things of God. It's not on your spouse. It's not on your kids. It's not on your parents. It's not even on your pastors. Again, my role it is to make sure you're the most well-loved and well-taught flock out there. But our personal growth, it's on us and on us alone. Right? Maybe some of us, we've been there. I can be reminded of my grandparents, right? Abuela, how was the doctor? Right? My granddad, Cho, how was the doctor? He told me I got to stop eating this. I got to start taking this medicine. But what does that guy know, right? And they go to the doctor. They're told what they need to do. And they say, I'm not going to do that. I know more than that guy. I got YouTube. I can, I can figure this out, right? And many of us, that's how we treat our spiritual maturity. We think it's someone else's problem. We hear it from the pulpit. We see it in God's word. And we think we can push it to the side. Family, I warn you, if you keep pushing it to the side, you're going to fall apart. You're going to be the first one running when opposition comes. Another blessing we have is the more spiritually mature people we have here at Calvary Chapel Miami, the healthier and the more protected we will be as a church and as a flock. We're blessed. The more people who are here say, I want to grow spiritually, the more protection there will be for even those who are less spiritually mature. You think of SEAL Team 6, right? These great warriors, each and every one of them are able to protect their brother in the battle. And that's hopefully who we want to be. We want to be spiritually mature, first and foremost, for our king, for our family, and for our brothers and sisters. The same is true for our circle of friends. The more spiritually mature people we have in our close circle of friends, the more healthy and the more protected we will be. Family, who's around you? Right? You can even think of, of carnal things, right? If all of your friends are on a diet and you go to the buffet together with them, right? And they're loading up on broccoli and chicken breast and you're there at the ice cream stand. You're thinking, what's the point of my life, right? <laughs> Why am I here? Look at all these guys. Why am I here, right? Even in something carnal like that, something important, even that gives us good peer pressure to make better decisions. How much more in spiritual things? If you're the only one in your circle of friends who's cussing, that spiritual peer pressure is going to start eating at your mind and hopefully at your flesh. When you go out on vacation with a group of brothers and you're the one waking up at 10, 11 o'clock noon and you wake up and all your brothers are there with their Bibles and their coffee in the Word of God, there's a good spiritual peer pressure happening there. So I encourage you, it's our personal responsibility to build ourselves up in the things of God. And I, I implore you, I encourage you to be surrounded by other spiritually mature people. It's going to help you. It's going to put that desire in you to grow in the things of God. One of my favorite devotionals ever, A.W. Tozer, he cites Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. And it reads, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wish we had more time. I'll only read one paragraph. Tozer, he says, There are Christians who grow up and have no relish for anything spiritually advanced. They're preoccupied with their first lesson. The average church is a school with only one grade, and that's the first one. 
These Christians never expect to get beyond that. And they don't want to hear a man for very long who wants to take them beyond that. In his closing prayer, he says, Lord, there are some of us who are not content with the first grade. I hope that's us here this morning. We say, Lord, I want to get past the first grade. Lord, I don't want to be like those in the Bible that say, by now you should be teachers of the word. And I'm having to remind you of the basic principles of the Lord. Hopefully we're desiring to grow. And how do we grow spiritually? By studying God's word. Coming to church one hour a week, it's not enough. Parents, sending your kids to youth group for one hour a week, it's not enough. We need to study God's word. And if you're here and you're saying, Zach, I can't stand reading, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Parents, I'm sorry. Middle schoolers, high school, schoolers, this isn't for you. I don't know if I read any books in middle school or high school. I literally don't remember if I read through a whole book in middle school or high school. I don't know if it's because I've, it's been so long since I was in middle school or high school, right? Parents, but that's what you should probably tell your kids. It's just been so long. That's why I didn't read any, right? But I, I don't love reading. It's not necessarily a joy for me. I'm growing in it. I'm starting to love it more. But God's word is alive. God's word, it puts his breath into our lungs. It restores our soul. It cleanses our mind. God's word reveals to us who we truly are. So I get it if you don't like reading, but there's something special about reading God's word, even in the hard parts, even in the prophecies and so-and-so, we got so-and-so, and we got so-and-so, right? Leviticus, the fatty liver, cling this, watch that, right? Those things are hard, but it's alive, it's breathing. This is how we get to know the heart of our Savior. A couple of scriptures here, just going to give them to you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus tells us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How do we hear the words that proceed from the mouth of God? How do we read the words that proceed from the mouth of God? By being in our Bibles. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We want to build our faith. We want to grow our faith. We need to be hearing and hearing by the word of God. Family, there's so many tools today for Bible study. More than any of us are going to be able to take in in a lifetime. Right? You take God's Way radio app, the CC Philly app, CalvaryMiami.com, Blue Letter Bible. There's resources upon resources upon resources to be able to go through the Bible with a ton of good pastors. Reading and going through the Bible expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line. To a point that we'll never be able to get, all, get through all that we have in the English language. What's our excuse? The tools are there. The food is there. The growth is there. We just need to desire it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul tells us, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. In the King James Version, it says, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Parents, are you able to break the scripture down for your kids? Right? Husbands, are you able to, your wife, can she ask you a biblical question and you're able to answer it? I got news for you. If you don't know how to answer it, you're just like me. What do you do? You go to people that know. You read God's word more, you try to study, you go on blueletterbible.com, you listen to Pastor Raz, you listen to Joe Foge, and you say, hey, this is what it says. But are we wanting to study to show ourselves approved? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul telling Timothy, he says, From childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Again, the holy scriptures are able to make us wise that's the bittersweet thing about christianity and about the church you have some people who have been saved for one year and yet they have the wisdom of being saved for 20 years because they're just eating they're consuming god's word non-stop the sad part of that is what there's some of us we've been saved for 20 30 years and we're still like that one-year-old believer that's where our wisdom is at. We're still trying to grab rocks and put it in our mouth, right? Thinking, why does this hurt, right? Spiritually, we're under the table. Oh, look at all this free gum, right? And, and that, that's where we're at. <laughs> we're eating things we shouldn't be eating, doing things we shouldn't be doing because we're not in God's word. Again, we can be wise. Just got to be in God's word. 
The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One, that's the beginning of understanding. Chuck Smith says, just the reading and the hearing of the word is going to build your faith. Because you're going to begin to understand more and more about God. And the more you understand Him, the more you will trust Him and learn to trust Him. So again, family, we need to build up on this holy faith. That's the first thing. The second thing is we need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Now again, we talked about that. All the things on this list are against our carnal nature. They're against our sensual nature. These are all spiritual things. We're never going to feel like reading our Bible with no distractions. Never ever going to happen. It's going to have to be a discipline, a spiritual discipline. Same is true with praying. We're not going to say, you know what I just feel like doing today? I just feel like praying, right? Get zero dopamine hits from praying, right? Zero. None are there. Your flesh is going to say, ooh, yes, I'm praying right now. No, your, your flesh is going to be saying, what time is it? How long have we been here? How much time do we have to go? Can I fall asleep? What's happening outside? Where's my phone? That's what's going to be happening in your flesh when you're trying to pray. It's a spiritual thing. But opposite of those who do not have the Spirit, Jude tells us that we need to pray within the Holy Spirit. We need to be a people of prayer. And we should look at none other than the example that Jesus Christ himself left for us. If the Son of God spent time in prayer, often, the Word of God says before the sun rose, before the disciples would wake up, Jesus would go alone to pray. Sometimes it says he'd go from night until the dawn of the morning in prayer. If he needed to pray, how much more do we need to spend time in prayer? And prayer within the Holy Spirit reveals a true dependence on God. See, that, that's the thing about these four, the, the list of these four. And even within our own strength, the only way we can get ready for this battle is if we're in God. Is if we're grafted in, is if we're abiding in Jesus Christ. If we think we're going to be able to contend earnestly for the faith in our strength, in our giftings, because my parents raised me right, because I'm a conservative, because my mom and dad are still together, you're going to fail miserably. The only way we're going to be able to contend for the faith is being plugged in and dependent on the Word of God and on the Spirit of God. And God loves it when we're dependent on Him. God is blessed when we trust Him. And when we ask him, just like us as parents, especially as our kids get older, right, we're blessed when they ask us, hey, mom, hey, dad, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about making this decision. What do you think, right? As parents, we're usually blessed when that happens. When are we hurt? When are we sideswiped, right? When our kids make a huge life decision and we're the last people to know. And oftentimes, that's how we treat the Lord. But yeah, he's omniscient. He knows everything that's happening, right? He's just saying, ah, Zach, you really think you could do this on your own, huh, buddy? All right. And then Jesus is up there interceding for us, praying for us. Again, family, be reminded, he's chosen the weak things. He makes perfect his strength in our weaknesses. And oftentimes we don't start praying until we actually feel that we are weak. We just forget about it. We're always weak. We're always out of control in the situation, right? Oftentimes we think we're in control, we're feeling good, the bills are paid, things are going great, we forget to pray. We start feeling bad, right? I feel like there's a knife in our back, health problems arise, problems arise, bills need to get paid, kids are acting bad, what do we do? Oh Lord, help me, help me. The nation looks like it's falling apart, Lord, help me, help me, right? We get reminded of our weaknesses. Again, be, be praying for Ray and Judith, we need to be reminded our lives in and out of God's hands completely. Any moment he wants to call us home, that's it. In a moment, a headache, a drive home, a car accident, anything can happen. We have no control over our lives. We need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and need to be dependent on the Lord in prayer. Romans 12, 12 tells us continuing steadfastly in prayer. Simply put, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide and influence our prayers. That could be in a very small and simple level, and that could be on a huge and grand and super spiritual level. In Romans chapter 8, 
We don't have time to go there. Romans 8, 26 through 27. You can listen. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Again, it could be as simple as before we begin to pray, we say, Lord, Holy Spirit, give me a list of things to pray for so that I don't get sidetracked, so that my mind doesn't wander. And the Lord can give you those things to pray for, and that's being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. But if we're at a, part, at a point where we're so broken, it's just, it's just groanings from the pain and the hurt, it tells us there that the Holy Spirit takes our groanings and is able to translate them for the Father so that the Father knows exactly what we're asking. Again, He makes intercession on our behalf. Some of us, we can even use a prayer language. We can pray in tongues. That's known as having a prayer language, and that's good and important. There are some churches that they overuse it, they misuse it, and now we should not, just because some misuse it, we should not now mistrust it or not use it, period. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, it tells us, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to man, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Again, tongues, one of the best places to use the gift of tongues is alone in prayer with the Lord. That's one of the best places to use it. We don't have time to go there, but throughout First and Second Corinthians, it tells us practically how to use the gift of tongues. Here it tells us it's not for God speaking to man or man speaking to man, but it's man speaking to God. If someone starts speaking to you in tongues, that's not biblical. It might be rambling, but it's not biblical, right? Biblical tongues is us speaking to God, us groaning earnestly towards the Lord. It's not a prophetic word from God to us. Corinthians makes it simple. If there's no one there in a group of believers that has the gift of interpreting tongues, you stop that and you move on to the next gift. If you're doing the gift of tongues after three times, move on to the next gift. We misuse it. There's churches where people, they start standing up randomly throughout the service and they're distracting you saying, what's going on, right? Because people just stand up and they begin to speak in tongues. That's not what it's meant for. Finally, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, it tells us praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Ephesians 6 18. I encourage you, next time you pray, ask yourself, are you praying according to God's will or are you praying according to your own comforts? Are we praying according to God's will or are we just praying according to our own comforts? Oftentimes, I'll be honest, my, my prayer life is just my own comforts. That's all it is. Lord, this hurts. Lord, my AC is not working. Lord, my bills aren't paid. Lord, the country's kind of messed up. Can you fix it so I feel more comfortable? That's what my prayers are. It's not praying for his will. Lord, man, may this person get saved. My enemies, Lord, I pray that you turn their hearts, you would change them. Lord, our nation, our president, Lord, I pray you'd soften their hearts. I pray that they would come to you. Those are the prayers that are spiritual prayers. What's the next thing on this list? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. In contrast to walking in their own lusts, we are to walk within the confines of God's love. Keeping yourselves in the love of God is not living in such a way that we are lovable to God. Because I got good news and bad news for you. We're not lovable to God. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. And that's when Jesus died for us to save us. Right? We just sung the song. We were prisoners. Now we're free. We were once of this, but now we're this. We are not lovable. And for some of us, our pride flares up. What do you mean I'm not lovable, right? I mean, you're not lovable. I mean, we are all made out of clay. We're all made out of dirt. We were all enemies against the kingdom of God. And yet, in spite of our unlovableness, he loves us. In spite of how evil we are, Jude is saying that we need to keep ourselves in the harmony with God's ever-present love. The more we realize we don't deserve his love, the more gratitude we have, the more you're going to walk in unison with what God is saying. Right? Jesus tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
We talk about that, right? One of the recipes for a good marriage is what? Both people think, man, I'm married up. My wife, I don't deserve her. I don't know how I tricked her or her parents, but man, I married up. That's a good place to be in marriage. What's a bad place to be in marriage? Oof. I can't believe I settled for this, right? It's a bad place to be in marriage. Ah, oh, man, Oof, that girl back in high school, I should have gone with her, but I settled for this. I can't believe I'm here. It's a terrible place to be. And some of us in our walk and relationship with Jesus, we think we're really great. Like, God, you're so lucky to have me. You're so blessed, right? Where, where, would, my, where would the church be if it wasn't for me, right? It's just pride and arrogance. And the Lord hates pride and arrogance. Matthew Henry says, keep yourselves in the way of God if you would continue in his love. You see, some try to pervert the love of God into making up excuses for living however they want to live. Again, they buck at the authority of God. What do they say? God loves me just the way I am so I can live however I want. They say, in the end, love wins so I can live however I want. God is love, so I can live however I want. God is merciful, so I can live however I want. These are those people, right, the apostates who are departing from the faith, departing from the lordship of God, departing from the lordship of Scripture to defend their own sins. That's not who we should be. God, he's pure love, but he's also pure righteousness, And because he's pure love, because we know the wages of sin is death, because we know a little leaven leavens the whole lump, God loves us enough to tell us, run from sin. That's the true love of God. These are all lies of the enemy to make us to walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Again, family, may we walk in the things of God. David Guzik, he says, the perspective isn't, I'm so great that even God loves me. The true perspective is God is so great, he loves even me. And when we come to God in that heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, you're on the right path. This perspective causes us to walk nearer to God. And the nearer and nearer we walk to God, we keep ourselves in a position to receive God's blessings. The more we're obedient to his word, the more we're going to receive his blessings. The more disobedient we are, the more we're going to receive, if we're sons and daughters, right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to receive that discipline from the Lord. If we're not saved, then you're just going to be reaping what you're sowing. There's that Christian saying, right? Stay under the spout where the blessings come out. Again, walk in the things of God. Simply put, think of a piñata, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a piñata. Not inside of one, but right in a, in a piñata sort of situation, right? And if you're there, some of us, right, we're just, we just love piñatas, right? So you're right there on the edge. Some of us are like sort of staying put, like what kind of candies are really in there, right? <laughs> What's really in there? Once one comes out, oh, that's a good one, then we might get closer. But man, think of a piñata with the greatest blessings ever, right? A piñata filled with $100 bills, a piñata with PS5s and Mac laptops and iPhones coming out. Where would you position yourself? Some of us, we've been there, right? We're dodging the guy with the back because we want to be under the piñata. We want to be the first person there to get to the blessings. And family, that's how we should be walking with the Lord. We should be so close to him because we know how great and incredible his blessings are. The lies of the enemy is that they tell us the blessings are out there. The blessings are on the outskirts. The blessing is living in the mediocre land, in the wasteland, in the middle ground, in the lukewarm ground. There's no blessings there. God tells us that that causes indigestion within him, right? When we're lukewarm, it makes him to spit us out, makes him want to vomit us out. Again, I encourage you, you want to grow in your walk with the Lord. You want to be ready to fight the battle, to contend earnestly for the faith. Keep yourself in the love of God. The next point on this to-do list is to look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Live today with a view for eternity. Live today with the proper view of eternity. And this is speaking of an expectation and an unwavering hope. Joe Foes, he says, it's looking with and expecting with an unwavering hope. And this keeps us in the present realities with the proper perspective. And we need that. We need the proper perspective. 
Again, I encourage you, I hope you're not consuming so much news that you think other humans are the enemy, right? Or you're just condemning other humans to hell. We're fighting for a kingdom that is not of this world. We're not. A hundred years from now, who's going to care what the CDC guidance is? We're all going to be dead. We're all going to be in heaven or hell. A hundred years from now, who cares what your 401k is at? You're not going to be using it. A hundred years from now, who cares about Republicans or Democrats? A hundred years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is what did we do in this life for our Lord Jesus Christ? Live with the proper view of eternity. Don't get caught up with all the divisions of the world today, all the garbage, all the distractions of the world today. Live with the proper view of eternity. And we should look forward to these things. Live with the proper view of the rapture that at any moment Christ can call us home. All of us collectively. Right? Personal rapture. The moment we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. 2 Peter 3 verse 14, it tells us, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things... Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. How do you want to be found when Jesus returns, right? How do you want to be found? You're arguing there with your wife, telling things about her. I just appear in the presence of the Lord. Is that where you want to be? You're leaning over, gossiping to someone about someone else, and there you are with the Lord, right? What were you saying, Zach? Is that, is that where you want to be? You want to be high on drugs or drinking, you want to be drunk in the middle of pornography, in the middle of a sexual relationship, where do you want to be when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords calls us home? Live with the proper view of eternity. 1 John 3.3 tells us, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If we have this hope of the rapture, if we have this hope for eternal life, it's going to purify us. It's going to cleanse us. That's why one of the things that is being attacked so much within Christianity today, even with other intellectual Christians, is the rapture. They're trying to disarm the rapture. Oh, that's man-made. That's made up. The word's not in the Bible. They're trying to take that away, the authority of God, and the desire for us to live as pure as we can live. We need this. We need this expectation. And it's found all throughout the New Testament Can we sleep tonight thinking, I pleased my king? When you go to bed tonight, will you be able to answer the question, Lord, it was a hard day, but Lord, I did my best. I know I pleased you. Are we living in such a way that we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Will we hear those words? Do we have people around us that are telling us, hey, you're doing a good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't, Get new friends. No, don't get new friends, right? <laughs> Address your lifestyle. Address your lifestyle. Maybe no one's telling you, well done, good and faithful servant, because you're not doing good and you're being totally unfaithful to the Lord and the things of the Lord. Again, we all say we want to hear it, but are we living like it? We often forget that the way we live in this life determines what we're going to be doing in the kingdom of God. We often forget that. Our salvation is not by works, But depending how we work with what God has given us in this life is going to determine what we're going to be doing in the next kingdom. And again, I got to be honest with you. It's better to be a janitor in heaven than a king in hell, right? We all know that. Far greater to be cleaning for the rest of eternity for the kingdom than to be burning in hell for all of eternity. Being reminded of every time our pride flared up instead of humbling ourselves and receiving the good news. Receiving Jesus as Lord. But why not be faithful? Why not be like that faithful servant? Hey, I, give you, I gave you five talents. Come into the joy of the Lord. Now I'm going to give you five cities to be in charge of. What do you want to be doing for the rest of eternity? How we live today with what God has given us is going to determine what we're going to be doing for the kingdom of our Lord. Another thing to be reminded of when it comes to eternity, especially with our earthly possessions, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Chuck Smith used to say it all the time. But the season my dad would say it all the time. It's all going to burn. You buy that new car. Don't get too excited. We live in Miami. You park in Publix. You show up at your car. There's a huge ding right on the side of it, right? <laughs> then you get bummed out. You get mad. You start cursing. It's all going to burn. 
It's all going to burn. Our homes, our devices, all of this stuff. One day it's all going to burn. It's not that important. Again, have the proper view of eternity. Jesus is coming at any moment. Am I living in a way that's pleasing to my king? Now in verse 22 and 23, he reminds us of the heart that we should have for these people, right? Apostates, those who have left the faith. And the first thing we need to do, right, it tells us make a distinction. We need to, Matthew Henry says, we need to distinguish between the weak and the willful. Distinguish between the weak and the willful. Again, when people leave the faith, when people are apostates, we shouldn't just be damning them to hell. That's not the proper heart that we should have. We should have a heart of, verse 22, and on some have compassion making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. We are called to be our brother's and sister's keeper. That's what we're called to be. That's, who we're, that's what we're called to do. We should be looking out for the interests of others more than our own. We should have compassion on those who are having doubts and struggling in their walk and relationship with the Lord. Because we've all been there. Right? right after you get saved, what's the first thing you start thinking about? Am I really saved? Right? Did this really happen or not? So let me just pray the prayer like every day for like a month straight. Hope it sticks. And we go through those seasons, right? Predestination, Calvinism, Arminianism. What does this all mean, right? And we go through struggles. We go to Galatians chapter 6. The heart that we should have. Again, making a distinction. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, we need to be able to have that distinction to realize, man, is this a unbeliever is this a make-believer is this a wolf or is this a baby believer and we should be compassionate we should be gentle with them in James chapter 5 verse 19 and 20 it tells us brethren if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins again for some of us, we've been on both ends of James 5, 19 and 20. We've been that person that someone saved us, someone plucked us, someone opened our eyes to see the path that we were going down. And some of us, we've had the joy and privilege to pull someone's soul from death to cover that multitude of sins. And we know Jesus Christ is the only one that can regenerate the soul from dead to living, from eternally damned to eternally redeemed. However, he uses humans to share the gospel with other humans. God has a multitude of angels. He has armies and armies of angels, and they proclaim a lot of things. Hey, this lady's pregnant. These people are coming. This army's coming. But for whatever reason, he wants us to be the ones sharing and proclaiming the gospel. Let's have compassion. When we see people leaving the faith, don't just damn them to hell. Don't just mock them. Have that distinction and realize where are they coming from. And sometimes we need to sit down and reason with them. You should be able to sit down and speak with an unbeliever without getting hyped up or angry or bitter at them. You should be able to give a reason for the hope that's within you with gladness, with joy, and with the love of Christ. A couple of scriptures on this. Isaiah 1 verse 18. God himself says, come and let us reason together, says the Lord Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Acts chapter 17 verse 2, it tells us Paul's custom was that he would go into a city and for three Sabbaths he would reason with them from the scriptures. 
Romans chapter 2 verse 4, again, the love of God. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So the very first way we should be looking to reach unbelievers or baby believers, make believers, right? It's through love. It's through God's goodness, reasoning with them. But then in verse 23, it tells us, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Jude is telling us there's some people that literally need the hell scared out of them, right? That's what he's telling us here. There's some of us that compassion works and we're broken at the love of God, the patience of God. Man, there's a perfect father up there that loves me. God loved me so much that he let his only begotten son go through all this pain and torture to be able to save me. What a, what a God is this? But there's some of us usually, right, after we've been given all that love from a brother or sister, they tell us, hey, Make a decision today because if you were to die today, you would burn in hell for all of eternity. And that worked for some of us. Hopefully after all the compassion and love. Hopefully that wasn't the first thing they told us, right? Usually it doesn't work when it's the first thing someone tells you, hey, turn or burn. Eh, right? Not the right way to start, right? But if they've shown us love and love and the love of God and the love of God and the love of God, some of us, if we're honest, we'll keep taking and taking and taking and taking as much as we can. But when we're faced with the reality of hell for all of eternity, there's some of us that that's what wakes us up. Again, I'll never forget, as a kindergartner, it was an easy decision. Hell for all of eternity or heaven for all of eternity. I'm good. This is easy, right? Let's pray the prayer. I don't want to burn for all of eternity. But there's some of us, again, our pride, our arrogance, the evil of our ways. We need the reality of heaven and hell. It's literally pulling people out of the fire. I think it's mostly the guys here. I don't know if any ladies here have played with campfires, right? But I don't know if you, any of you guys have pulled something out of the fire, right? You burn something, you drop something in there, you say, eh, I can move that log, I could grab that thing, right? And you pull it out of the fire. That's literally what it's talking about. Amos chapter 4, verse 11, God speaking to Israel, he says, You are like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you would not return to me. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, it says, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a firebrand plucked from the fire? And that's what we need to do for some people is like literally just grab them, jar them, and pull them back. I don't know if you've seen those great dad videos, right? Saving their kids at the last minute, at the last moment. A car's coming, the dad just grabs the collar and saves the kid. The other kid's on the swing set and is about to get 10 toes to the face, right? And dad just grabs them and saves them. Sometimes that's what we need to do for others. It's time to stop pandering to them and trying to be the nice guy. And again... Reveal to them the true fear of the Lord. Finally, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Some scholars believe it's a list of three different people, right? Compassion, saved by fear, and now these that you wouldn't even have their, their garments of flesh touch you. Others believe the last two are put together. Simply put, do not come to their level. We do not need to live like they live so we can get them saved. That's not found in Scripture. We lie to ourselves. Maybe if I make them more comfortable, then they'll want to get saved. If I make this just like a bar, then they'll want to be saved, right? If I go out with them and sin with them, then they'll want to be saved. Jude is telling us the opposite. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3, it tells us, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Family, what's your reputation? Not just in the church, but outside of the church. What's your reputation with your coworkers? What's your reputation with the lady at Publix, right? The gas station worker. What's the reputation with the person you're buying all the liquor from and the cigarettes from, right? What's the reputation between you and your drug dealer, right? What is your reputation? Is it named among you? Are you saying that's not even fitting for saints? That would be the farthest thing ever attached to my name. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Again, I'm not going to offend anyone when it comes to the Word of God. I don't want the ministry blamed for my quote-unquote freedoms. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. 
Abstain from every form, everything that even looks like evil, abstain from it. A.R. Fowl said he breaks these three down into three simple classes. Those who contend with you, you should convict. Those who are as firebrands are ready in the fire, these you should try to save by snatching them out. Those who are objects of compassion, you should be compassionate and help if the occasion should offer. But at the same time, let not pity degenerate into cooperating in their sin. Your compassion is to be accompanied with fear of being at all defiled by them. So yeah, share the gospel. But don't use the lies. Oh, missionary dating. I heard this one person, they got saved, right? And these thousands and dozens of other people, their lives got wrecked because of it. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to go into the nightclubs by myself. That's why I'm going to share the gospel. No, you're going to be defiled. You're going to be destroyed. Again, we've been going through Leviticus on Wednesday nights, and that's a perfect view for us, right? If you got anything unclean on your garments, what would you have to do? You have to wash your garments. You have to be in solitary confinement till the next day. If you had enough money, it says you would burn the garments. You would consume them. And that's how we should be sharing the gospel with others, giving to them the hope, but again, having the fear of the Lord and having the fear of being at all defiled by them. Again, a little bit of blessed common sense. Now verse 24 through 25, we see one of the greatest closing prayers in all the Bible. The word benediction is just a really big word for a closing prayer, right? Closing blessing. Verse 24 and 25, it reads, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Again, Jude gave us a to-do list in order to grow and be mature, to build up on our faith. However, we cannot do it on our own. Some of us were going, woof, thank the Lord, right? That list is way too hard. No way I could do that on my own. Again, we can only do this through Jesus Christ, abiding in Him, being connected with Him. Again, we need to desire to want this change, but we need to be connected to Him. And it's good to be reminded of all that God is able to do. Sometimes we forget how great and how mighty, how powerful our God is. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they tell the king, hey, our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Matthew 3, verse 9, Jesus says, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Romans 4, 21, what he has promised, he was able to perform. Ephesians 3, 20, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think or imagine. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Finally, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Family, our God is able and our God is willing. But are we? Do we really desire this change? Do we really want God to work in our hearts? Are we really dead men and dead women walking? David Guzik, he says, keeping us spiritually safe is God's work. But you can always tell the people he's working in because they are working also. God doesn't call us to simply let the Christian life happen to us. And he doesn't command us to save ourselves. He calls us into a partnership with him. Family, have you answered that partnership? It's not you and your own sweat, your own discipline. I could do this. I was raised this way. I can do this. No, you're going to fail. It's also not right. We always joke around. It's not the spiritual lazy river. Lord, I'm just going to hop on this donut and Lord, you're going to just grow me, right? You're just going to grow me and lead me and I'm going to, yeah, Lord, I'll be ready for the battle. I mean that first and then I'll be ready for the battle, right? It's not the case. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Paul has the same idea here for the church in Philippi. He tells them in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Again, we are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But it is God who works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Sometimes, I know none of you, it's only me that complains to God, God, why aren't you taking this desire away? God, why is this lust still here? God, why is this sinful thought still here? God, why haven't you taken this away? Who in the world are you? Do you not will to do this? And we need to look in the mirror and say, how many years did you spend feeding those sinful desires? How many years did you spend feeding and sowing into the flesh? Sometimes, yes, the Lord, he does mighty miracles and he takes those sins away from us right away. But there are other things that God needs to slowly but surely work and take away out of us. Are we willing to discipline ourselves under the Lord, in His Word, praying in the Spirit, staying in the love of God to say, Lord, I don't know how long it's going to take for you to take this away from me. But Lord, I'm here. I'm in the battle. Again, how many years did we spend feeding those sinful desires? And how many years have we spent starving those sinful desires? I know, I, know, I know I'm the only one. I spend a week or a month or several years, right, getting the body that I get. And the doctor's like, man, you got to do something about this body you've worked over the years to get, right? And then what happens? I work for a week. Nothing's changed, right? What's going on? What's happening? Zach, you, it took you years to look like this, right? It's not going to go away in a week. It's not going to go away in a month. You have to discipline yourself. It's the same with us spiritually. God wills. God desires. God wants to take it away. But are we putting in the discipline to be obedient to God's will and God's word? A couple of scriptures really quick. I didn't get to this in the nine, but Spirit's telling me to do it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 14. Jesus says, Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. There must be someone here that we think, God, you don't, do you even desire to take this away from me? God, do you even will to take this? I tried, but God just doesn't want to take it away from me. Better double check the scriptures. God wants your sanctification. God wants to cleanse you and purge you. But it's a two-way street. We need to be putting in our devotion to him, our obedience to him, and our following him. First Peter 4 verse 3, it says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. Family, I hope that's us. I've wasted enough of my years giving my best to these Gentiles, giving my best to sin and to the devil. From here on out, I'm giving my best to the Lord. Finally, verse 25, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Worship team, you can come up. Jude ends it reminding the church, hey, there's these people sneaking around. They've crept in unnoticed. All these things are happening. But don't you forget, God is in control. Don't you forget, God is in control. We may not like it. It's probably not comfortable to us, but everything is going according to plan. These past two years, God didn't take a nap and say, woof, how did this happen, right? How, how did that thing get out of there, right? How did this virus, how did that happen? That's not God. God's not looking. How did that election happen? What in the world happened? That's not God. It's all going according to plan. The question is, what team are you on? 
What part are you of those who are contending earnestly for the faith? The Bible tells us who wins in the end. We know who wins in the end, but what are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our talents? Will the fruit of our lives reveal that we were that good and faithful servant? I hope that's you here this morning. You say, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by His Spirit. We need to be disciplined, but at the end of the day, we need to be connected with the Lord. Let's all stand and we're going to close a little bit differently here. We're going to read together the last two verses of Jude to remind ourselves who our God is, what He's capable of, and His desires for us. To read this, to remind ourselves, and and after we read that, we'll pray, we'll close in worship. Again, whatever you need prayer for. Be reminded there's so many people throughout the Gospels that would come to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, I know you can do this. And maybe there's some of us here this morning who say, Lord, if you're willing, will you save me? Lord, if you're willing, will you take these thoughts away? Lord, if you're willing, will you take these addictions away? Lord, if you're willing, will you help me to stop living a roller coaster life of a Christian and help me stay faithful till the end? He's willing, but come to him in faith. Even in lack of faith, come to him in humility. But hey, let's read together Jude Verse 24 and 25, it reads, we read it all together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your power, Lord. We thank you, God, that you're on the throne. You're controlling everything that's happening, God. And, Lord, I just pray that we would come to you, Lord. Come to you in our faith or faithlessness, God. May we come to you in humility, revealing our dependence to you, Lord. May we be abiding in you. May we be plugged into you, Lord. May we be thinking of eternity. What we're doing today, what will it look like a hundred years from now, God? Lord, we love you. Do that mighty work in our hearts, God. Lord, bind the enemy, Lord, and help us to come to you this afternoon in humility, Lord. Saying from here on out, I want to be able to go to sleep knowing I've pleased my king. I want to be able to go to bed at peace tonight knowing I did my very best to be faithful to the one who gave his everything for me. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Again, if you need prayer.